Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9 for our scripture reading. That would be my kid mate crying. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews chapter 9 verse 23 through 28 will be our scripture reading today. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in in the presence of God on our behalf, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. Well, it's great to be back in church on Sunday mornings and worshiping together with you all. To say that I have missed this and I have missed you would be a vast understatement. It would be like saying I kind of like tacos. Uh, So I'm so happy to be together with you. I'm happy to be together with you and to be worshiping God with you. This is where we're supposed to be on Sundays. and, And so I'm looking forward to when we can all be together. If you're watching the live stream this morning, we miss you. We're looking forward to coming back together, all of us, and uh, worshiping together very soon. So uh, it, it is good to be here. Uh, I, am, I do want to start out this morning saying Happy Father's Day to you dads who are here and who are watching the live stream. Uh, we, we are thankful for the gift of our dads. Uh, for, for me, uh, Father's Day is a great day. I get to get shirts from my kids, so I'm wearing a shirt that my kids got me today that says, I am your father. Uh, so if that's good, I also get to hang out with my kids all day, which is always good, and I get today to have them wait on me and tell me how amazing I am, which is just a one-day fantasy, but I'll take it. Uh, uh, Father's Day for me for, for many years was not a very good day. It's not a day that I really looked forward to. When I was 18 years old, I lost my dad. He was hit by a car, and he passed away a few days later. Uh, and so for a number of years, when I would see kids with their father celebrating Father's Day, that was something that was extremely difficult for me. Uh, and then after I got married and uh, we tried to have kids, I found out that I couldn't have biological children of my own, and so Father's Day became even more difficult. And so my wife and I decided we would try to adopt, and that didn't go very well. And so as I would see uh, fathers with their kids and, and celebrating Father's Day, that just really put this, this hole in my heart that that's something that I probably would never experience. Well, fast forward about 20 years from that time until now, and today I have three beautiful children. They are perfect 
in every way. They never do anything wrong. They, are, they always keep their rooms clean. They always pick up after themselves. They always obey their parents. They never fight. They are just perfect little angels. What? Your kids aren't like that? So I, I have a confession to make this morning. I, I have kids confessing that they're not like that. <laughs> uh, I have a confession this morning that even pastor's kids, I know, gasp, are not perfect. And I thank Pastor Brian for illustrating that this morning when he came out and said, that's my kid crying. So I was going to say I'm not going to speak for Pastor Brian, but he already did for himself. Uh, but I won't speak for Pastor Glenn this morning or for Andy. Uh, so... But, uh, but my kids are not perfect, and so because of that, I just want to say thank you to your dads, to you dads who have continued to love your kids, even in spite of the absolute terror that they can be at some points in their lives. So thank you for that, and I, I especially want to say thank you to the dads who have chosen to bring God into their kids' lives and who teach their kids about God and who bring their kids to church and make that a priority. So thank you for that. Uh, and as Pastor Glenn prayed this morning, for some of you, though, Father's Day is a difficult day, and it's difficult maybe because you lost your dad, or maybe because your dad was never involved in your life, or maybe because your father was not a very good father. And I do want to acknowledge that I understand the pain that you may be experiencing today. But whether today is a day of celebration and gratefulness for the gift of your dad, or the uh, gift of being a dad, or a day of struggle... The one thing that remains true is that no matter how good of a father we have here on earth, he can never compare to our heavenly father. He's only a glimpse of what we have through God our Father in heaven. Now, I think God gave us fathers to give us a taste of our heavenly father, a taste of the love of God, a taste of the strength of God, a taste of the provision of God, but we know, and we dads know maybe more than ever, that we, we can't measure up. To what God is. We're just a shadow of what our Heavenly Father is. And in the same way, the law, which we've been talking about for several weeks, or any set of religious rules or spiritual standards that we follow or practice here on this earth, no matter how good or enjoyable or purposeful or fulfilling they may be, they're just a shadow of what we can have in a relationship with God through Jesus. For many weeks now, we've been looking at the book of Hebrews together, and as we've done it, we've continued to be reminded that Jesus is greater. That's why we have all these greater than signs, right? We're reminding ourselves Jesus is greater, and our passage today in verse 23 starts with this statement, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So what does that all mean? Well, when the author of Hebrews says copies of the heavenly things, he's talking about the worship that the people of God did under the old covenant. How did they worship under the old covenant? Well, they came together in the tabernacle, and they, they came together, and, and all of the pieces of the tabernacle had to be cleansed by the blood of animals year after year, all to cover over the sins of the people. So that, in a nutshell, was how people worshipped in the Old Covenant. And so why was the Old Covenant called a copy or a shadow? Well, it's because a copy or a shadow is never as good as the original, right? So if we see a shadow of something, we don't say, wow, look at that beautiful shadow. We look to what is creating the shadow. And it, as a copy, 
we know that that's never good or as valuable as the original either. For instance, if you had a painting of a famous artist and then you took a print of that painting and you tried to sell that for millions of dollars, that would be fraud, right? Nobody would be like, that's fantastic. You got a nice print there. I'll pay a million dollars for that. So the copy was, the print is never as good as the original. If, if you were out hiking somewhere and you looked in a ripply pond and you saw the reflection of the beautiful mountain, you wouldn't only stare at that reflection. You would stare up to what is causing the reflection, the beautiful mountain. If you were to visit a national park and you took a photograph of the scenery there at the park, the photograph might be nice, but it can't compare right, to the actual scenery that you're standing before. Now, a few summers ago, my family and I went to the Grand Canyon, and you've heard people say that that pictures don't do it justice, and it's true. Uh, We took some great pictures there, if I don't say so myself, but they did not match up to what we actually witnessed there. We might even take those pictures and hang them on our wall because they're so awesome, but not compared to standing on the edge of the canyon and looking out over the vastness and the beauty of God's creation there. And the old covenant of worship, which we see described in Hebrews 8.5, served only as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. It was good, but it was never good enough. It's only through Jesus and the new covenant and his greater sacrifice that our relationship with God and that our worship of God is truly pure. The reason that Jesus is greater than the old covenant, greater than any religion, greater than any spiritual standard or set of religious rules is that through him and only him can we have hope, past, present, and future. In our passage today, we see that hope that we have through Jesus' actions in the past and his actions in the present and his actions in the future. I want you to notice here in Hebrews 9 the use of the word appear. So three times in five verses, we have that word appear. And all of those appearances are referring to an act of Jesus. Appearances in the past, in the present, and in the future. And it's those appearances of Jesus, past, present, and future, that give us hope. And it's those appearances of Jesus, past, present, and future, that give us a reason to worship today. Now we continue to see in the book of Hebrews that the old covenant can never measure up to Jesus because it's incomplete. But through Jesus, everything is fulfilled. Everything is finished. And so... We have a reason to worship today. Now, I think today, in the uncertainty and the chaos and the outrage and the division that we see sweeping across our country and and sweeping across our world today, it's more important than maybe ever in the history of our church for us to remember why we do what we do. What's the purpose of us coming together? When we look at our vision statement, our purpose statement, the very thing that you see on the top of our online bulletin, you'll see that it says there, the people of hope are to enjoy God through worship. In our vision, worship comes before everything else. It comes before fellowship, comes before discipleship, it comes before ministry, it comes before evangelism. Worship is our baseline. It is our default setting. 
Worship is what makes it possible for us to do all of those other things. When we worship God, we have passion and we have joy and we have peace and we now have the ability to do the other things in the Christian life that we are called to do, like service, like personal growth, like shared unity, like community outreach. And so we worship. And this morning I want to talk about what is the reason why we worship. So as we look at Hebrews 9 today, I'm going to focus on three acts of Jesus that give us a reason to worship today. This morning I would encourage you to look at the sermon outline. We're not passing out paper bulletins these days, but on our website, hbcmanchester.org, you can go to our online bulletin there. You can find our sermon outline. I also encourage you to open up and keep your Bibles open to Hebrews 9 throughout the message as we will keep referring back to that. I'm going to start in Hebrews 9 looking at verses 25 and 26. If you look there with me, it says, Christ didn't enter the holy places to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So did you see the use of that word appear there in verse 26? That's the first act of Jesus that gives us a reason to worship today. He has appeared as our sacrifice. The word appear there is in the past tense. That's the hope that we have through Christ for what he did for us in the past. Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for us. He was a substitute for us. Now, we've talked a lot about Jesus being greater than the law and the old covenant over the last few chapters and over the last several months, and it's all centered around this point right here. His sacrifice is greater in every way than any of the sacrifices that the priests made or that, that anyone could make. But man, do we talk about this a lot or what? I mean, does the book of Hebrews talk about Christ's sacrifice a lot or what? Does the Bible talk about Christ's sacrifice a lot or is it just me? I mean, do we sing songs about the cross and about his broken body and and about his blood? Do we hang crosses everywhere and put them around our necks and and celebrate communion and, and talk every time we celebrate communion about Jesus dying? I mean, man, do we talk about that too much or is it just me? Why do we talk about Christ's sacrifice so much? I mean, every week, we have something else to talk about? Why is it that we do that? It's because it gives us a reason to worship. That's why we do what we do. If Christ was not sacrificed, if Christ was not our substitute, then then we would not be here then we would have no reason to have peace. Then we would have no reason to have hope. Then we would have no reason to have joy. Then we would have no reason to go on living. But because Christ is our sacrifice, we have all of that stuff. The sacrifices of the priests were incomplete. They continually had to keep offering new sacrifices year after year. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, it's all complete. It's all fulfilled 
See here in verse 25 and 26, it's a once and for all sacrifice. So he made a sacrifice in the past, but it has continuing effects into our present and into our eternal future. And the result is we have unity with God, and we have unity with each other, and we have personal peace and joy and growth within we have fulfillment and purpose in, in what and in, in who we live for and in how we live. It's because of his sacrifice that we don't need to fear viruses or riots or political elections or racism or persecution or even death. And we don't ignore those things, but we don't need to fear them. Because through Christ's sacrifice, literally, the worst thing that could happen to us here on this earth would only usher in an eternity of peace and joy. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's Christ's sacrifice that that allows us to not waste our time on fear or worry, anger or hatred, dissension or rebellion, but instead his sacrifice gives us a reason to stop all that and just worship. I want you to take a moment right now and think back, look back to what Christ did on the cross. Now, I said we talk about the cross an awful lot. We talk about his sacrifice an awful lot. But people like me, we can just take that for granted, as if the God of the universe dying in my place was something to be taken for granted. But think back to the cross, and think back to the fact that Jesus, when he came, came for one reason. He didn't come to be a little baby lying in a manger, no crying he makes and all that stuff. He didn't come so that he might be a miracle worker who might heal paralyzed people to make them walk again. He didn't come to be a great speaker who would speak to sinners like the woman at the well. Now, he did all of those things because he's God and because he's powerful and because he's compassionate. That isn't the reason he came. The reason he came was to be a sacrifice for me and for you. So each one of those things that that Jesus did when he came was just a step toward the cross. So when Jesus, that little baby, was lying in a manger, it was just a step toward the cross. And what did the shepherds do when they came and they saw that baby? They worshipped. And when Jesus told that paralyzed man, pick up your mat and walk, what was the reaction of the paralyzed man as Jesus took just that one more step toward the cross? He worshipped. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and he told her everything that she had ever done, it was just a step toward the cross. And what was her reaction? To worship. And then when Jesus finally did go to the cross, the centurion, the Roman guard who was standing at the foot of the cross, what did he do? You guessed it. He worshipped. So what's your response to Jesus as your sacrifice today? Is it to worship? It should be. It should be. Well, his sacrifice for us is real good news. It gives us a reason to worship. But the good news doesn't stop there because we see in our passage today that he not only appeared in the past 
to be a sacrifice, but he is appearing in the present as an advocate. So if you look back with me to Hebrews 9 and verse 24, it says there, Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So the second act of Jesus that gives us a reason to worship today is he is appearing as our advocate. So the the true story of Jesus' life presented in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it, it doesn't end with Jesus hanging on the cross. It doesn't end with the centurion standing there at the foot of the cross worshiping the dead Jesus. There are five more chapters in the Gospels after his death. And more than that, there are 23 other books of the Bible which follow his crucifixion. And more than that, there are 2,000 plus years of church growth. Why? Well, it's because the cross isn't the end. Jesus really did die on the cross, but, drum roll please, he rose again. And that's not the end of the story either because now, Presently, Jesus is still working, and what he is doing now is he is being an advocate for you before the Father in heaven. Do you see that in verse 24? He is appearing in the present tense in God the Father's presence on our behalf. He is our advocate. Now, let me tell you a story which I think somewhat illustrates this kind of advocacy that Jesus has for us. Now, just so we are clear, some of this story has been stretched just a little bit in order to make it fit the illustration. Can you, can you handle that? That I'm pastor's going to tell a little fib from the pulpit this morning. But I, if you watch the news, then you're used to stories being stretched to fit a narrative, aren't you? Okay, so that's what we're going to do this morning, but, but I just want to tell you this illustration. When I was a teenager, uh, I used to have friends over quite a lot, and we would hang out, and we would talk, and we would chat, and we would play games, we'd sit around and stare at each other, look at a candle, whatever you used to do before there was the internet. Uh, we would hang out, and, and uh, often late into the night. One night, a friend of mine came over, and uh, it, my parents had already gone to bed, and they were asleep, and we were talking in the living room, and we were in maybe a little bit louder than we should have been at one o'clock in the morning. And my dad was awoken from a sound sleep to the racket that we are creating in the living room. And so he woke up thinking maybe there's a burglar in the house or something is terribly wrong. And he came running down the stairs looking to harm whoever had broken into his house. And as he ran into the living room, he saw my friend and he said, hey, oh, it's you. And he turned around and went back to bed. Now, here's what I learned that day. If you're going to be in my dad's house, and and you're going to be making a bunch of noise in the middle of the night while he's sleeping, you had better be a friend of his son. Otherwise, you're in for some serious hurt. And that is infinitely more true as we consider our standing before God. Now, we're down here. We're creating all sorts of noise, and we're breaking stuff, and we're, we're, we're just making all sorts of problems with our sin, okay? And God's up there, and he sees all that, and he hears all of that. And if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus is God's son, and if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus is our friend, then we would be in for some serious trouble. 
You with me? Okay, Jesus is our advocate. He, 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 thank God that every minute of every day, Jesus is standing before the Father in heaven, reminding the Father that He is the sacrifice for us. He's interceding on our behalf. The Old Testament priests, they, they were mediators for the people. They were advocates for the people. They interceded for the people, but their intercession was incomplete because their sacrifices were imperfect and they were imperfect. But not so with Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8:34. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you hear the tenses in that? Christ did die. Christ was raised, and now Christ is presently interceding for us. He is currently our advocate. Listen to what it says in 1 John 2. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So this is the point I want to make concerning our standing with God because of Jesus, our advocate our intercessor, our mediator, the one who stands between the wrath of God and us. It's not something that happened a long time ago in a country far, far away. It's something that is currently happening as we speak right now. So this morning when you got angry at your kids because they were taking forever to get ready on Father's Day, how dare they? Jesus was standing before God the Father saying, I want to remind you that I am the advocate for them. This morning when you were driving here and that, that guy cut you off with his car and you lost your temper, Jesus said, God, I want to remind you that I am the sacrifice for him. When you came here to church this morning and you avoided that other person because she's kind of annoying, God, Jesus said, God, I, I got this. This morning when you lied to your friend, when you disobeyed your parents, when you looked at that woman lustfully, Jesus was standing before God as your advocate to say, I died on the cross for all of those sins. And those are just sins that you guys committed in the last hour on Sunday morning. Come on. How thankful should we be that God, that before God, Jesus is advocating for us every minute of every day. I wonder you take a moment and turn your attention upward. Now, I said we should look backwards to the cross. Well, now think about what's going on in heaven right now. Right now, in this, at this moment, Jesus is standing at the right hand of God, and he is advocating for you. He's saying something to God along the lines, God, do you see you're sitting there? God, take a look at him. I, I paid for her sins. I went to the cross for his sins. I want to remind you that those are forgiven. That's the reason that Jesus is standing at the right hand of God today. What is your response to Jesus as your advocate? Is it to worship? It should be. It should be. Well, Jesus as a sacrifice and an advocate, that's good news. It gives us a reason to worship today, but the good news doesn't stop there. 
Because we see in our passage today that, that he not only appeared to be a sacrifice, he not only is appearing to be an advocate, he will appear to be our Savior. So look back with me one more time to Hebrews 9, verse 27. It says there, And just as is it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So the previous usage, uses of the word appear in our passage were past he was a sacrifice for us, present, he's an advocate for us, and now we see appear in the future tense. Christ will appear, not to deal with sin, because that's already happened at the cross, but to save us from all the consequences of all sin. He will appear as our Savior, and that is a reason to worship today. We see that his appearance like I said, is not to deal with sin. That's, that's listed right there in verse 28. He already did that on the cross. It, it, he's not going to appear to, for our forgiveness. He already did that through the cross. He's not going to advocate for us. He's already doing that. Okay, It's not that he needs to be sacrificed again. It's not that our sins need to be forgiven again. He is appearing to pull us forever and always away from all sin and all the consequences of sin, not only ours, but all the sins of the world, once and for all. Now, there's a stark contrast to what we receive through Jesus to what we can receive through the sacrifices of the Old Covenant and the law and the priests or any works-based faith. Because any works-based faith is always incomplete. We always have to continually do and do and work and work and sacrifice and sacrifice and it never ends. But with Jesus, it's a once and for all. It's done. It's finished. What were Jesus' last words there on the cross? It is finished. When I was in middle school, I was what some might call a slow learner. I know, shocking. Maybe some of you are thinking some things never change. But regardless, my parents saw that I was a slow learner. I wasn't really doing that well in school, and so they said, we need to have some sort of a reward system for this dummy. And, and so they said, tell you what, if you get on the honor roll, every semester during your eighth grade year. We're just going to focus on the eighth grade year because I had success that year. Okay, but if you do it, then we're going to buy you tickets to a Giants game. Not that excited? Well, t thank you, Boyd. Okay. <laughs> to a 13-year-old Travis Armstrong, that might as well have been a billion dollars because the Giants were all, was all I talked about it's all I thought about. I had their cards. I knew all the players. I knew all their stats. I knew when all their games were. I knew who they were playing. My room from floor to ceiling was decorated with giant stuff. I was obsessed. And so you shouldn't be surprised that once there was the motivation of you can have tickets to a Giants game, suddenly there was a drastic increase in my grades. And yes, I made the honor roll 
every semester my eighth grade year, and my parents followed through on their promise. They bought tickets to a Giants game, and after school was done, they presented them to me. And to say that I was excited would be a massive understatement. So for that summer, as I had those tickets and I waited for game day to arrive, I was so excited, uh, but it was kind of torture because each day was just slower than death waiting for game day to come. But finally, it did come. And I went with my family, and, and I remember driving up over the hill towards Giants Stadium and seeing the stadium for the first time. I remember going out through the tunnel and seeing the field for the first time. I me- remember hearing the crowd cheer as the players came out onto the field. It's still to this day one of my favorite memories with my dad. And I brought this morning a picture from that day. There we are. So, yeah, I'm the one in the middle, in case you hadn't figured that out. But that's my dad, myself, and my little sister at the game. And you can tell that I could care less that there is a picture being taken. I'm just focused on what's going on on the field. So I was really excited for that day to arrive. And and here is why I told that story. I told that story because if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus' sacrifice for you, you're in the waiting period. So Jesus' sacrifice for you was like when I made the honor roll. So you've, you've made the honor roll. You've met the standard. Now, it's not something that you did on your own. Jesus did it for you, but you've met the standard nonetheless. And Jesus followed through on his promise. He immediately went to God the Father as your advocate and bought those tickets and handed them to you. Here are your tickets to heaven. They're yours. Nobody can take them away. Okay, and so you got them, and now you're just waiting You're just waiting for that time when you get to see heaven for the first time. You're just waiting for that time when you can walk the streets of gold for the first time. You're just waiting for that time when you can see Jesus for the first time. And when you can hear the multitude of believers from every nation and every race and every people and every skin color cheering and worshiping God for the first time. Is that exciting? Because Jesus is our Savior, we don't need to waste our time feeling anxious about sickness or about death or about what the political leaders might do to bring an end to the world as we know it. We can stop all that and just worship. Verse 27, we see that everyone will experience death and everyone will face judgment. And for those of us who know Jesus, that's not a threat. That's not something that we should be anxious about. Verse 28 tells us that's something that we're eagerly awaiting. We're going to stand before God so that we can do what we are created to do, what we are preparing to do for eternity, and that is to worship Him. We looked back at the cross and we looked up at what's going on in heaven right now, and I'd like you to think forward to what's going to be in your future if you know Jesus. Think about the hope that you have of of a certain future with God. When you consider eternity, an eternity of peace and joy that awaits you, no inequality, no sickness, no racism, no favoritism, no riots, no death, no pain, no worry forever. What's your response to Jesus as your eternal Savior today? Is it to worship? It should be. It should be. 
Listen to what Paul says in Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. He's our advocate before God the Father. He's our Savior. That is infinitely more than enough reason to worship today. Everything in this world, our jobs, our schools, our sports, our hobbies, our vacations, even our friends and our family members should come second to what we are created first and foremost to do. What we are preparing to spend eternity doing Worshiping God. Now, although this year has been an extremely difficult year for many, it has in some ways been a great way for us to measure just how important God is to us. When we take those things away, our jobs, our retirement, our schools, our vacation, our health, even our friends and our family members, do we lose all hope? Or do we continue to live out what we are created to do? Continue to give, continue to serve, continue to worship. Jesus is greater. Do you need another reason to worship today? I don't. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful today that even if everything in this world has, has to offer is taken away from us, even if we lose our retirement, even if we lose our jobs, even if we lose our health, even if we lose our loved ones, we can't lose Jesus, and we won't lose our hope. So we'll continue to worship you. Help us to keep that perspective. Don't let us waste one moment worrying or fearing or doubting or hating when we could just be filled with your peace and joy and we could just stop in the name of Jesus and worship. We pray in his name and we sing praises in his name and we will go from here and worship this week in his name. Amen.